2 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 5. And uh, we continue our series that we've been in the last several weeks. It's entitled, Add the Path to Godly Living. As God, through the Apostle Peter, tells us there are some things that uh, we should be growing into and developing in our Christian life. You see, the Christian life is a progressive uh, life. You, you say, oh, Brother Andrew, we're a traditional church. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, you ought to be growing and developing as a Christian. Uh, if there's no growth present in your life, there's only really two stages that you find in nature, growth or decay. And really, it's true in Christians' lives. You're either growing or you're probably a corpse a shell of what you used to be as a Christian. So our prayer is that we would be growing, and that's what the Bible says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Peter gives us some graces that we are to develop, a specific list of items that we should be developing in our Christian life. Now, I think maybe some of us are better at some things than others on this list, but we all need help in every area if we would just be humble and admit it. So we've looked at uh, well, the foundation of faith, I, if I list them off, I'm for sure going to forget one. But the foundation of faith, you need faith to be a Christian. Without faith, there is no such thing as a Christian. Uh, you must be a Christian. The Bible says, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we must have faith. Then there's the value of virtue. We are to add to our faith virtue, and to our virtue, knowledge, and to our knowledge, patience. And to our patience, godliness. And now this week we find uh, we're going to be studying the beautiful life of brotherly love. The beautiful life of brotherly love. Second Peter chapter 1, verse number 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add. There's the title of the sermon series, add to your faith virtue. And to your virtue, knowledge. I told you guys I was going to forget one. And to knowledge, temperance. See, I forgot one. I knew I shouldn't have done that. It's better than asking you guys if I'm talking about Rahab or not. How do you all know who I'm talking about? <laughs> and to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. That's the one we covered last week. You see, there are good things in life that are not necessarily godly, but all godly things are good. And we talked about that last week. Verse number 7, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. Before you get too mad at me and say, Brother Andrew, you said brotherly love. Well, the word here in the New Testament Greek is Philadelphia. And you might be saying, no, it's probably phileo. No, no, the actual word used here in both cases, in brotherly kindness in the first uh, part of uh, chapter 7 and the second, the word is actually Philadelphia in the Textus Receptus in the New Testament. And so it's Philadelphia. I decided just for my own entertainment, I suppose, to look up the 30 most rude cities in America. <laughs> Dallas made the list, by the way. That's why I don't like going to Dallas. But number three on the list is the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now that's unique because the name of the city is named such because Philadelphia means brotherly love, or in this case, it's love. 
And the city of uh, uh, Philadelphia, they, their, their title, the moniker of the city is the city of brotherly love. And yet they're the, one of the most rude cities in the United States of America. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Did you know that Christians are supposed to be noted for their brotherly love? And yet some of the meanest people that I've ever known, codgers, just mean old cusses, are Christians. And we might point a finger and laugh at Philadelphia because, you know, we, we wouldn't want to go up there and, you know, and I ordered a Philly cheesesteak sandwich today at lunch to get in the mood for this sermon, actually. And, uh, you know, there's probably not too many redeemable qualities in our minds about the city of Philadelphia, but we might point and laugh and say, oh, it's a bunch of rude folks. Reality is, if we're not careful, we can become that. And so we, we've got to understand the importance of this type of love, brotherly kindness in our life. And so, if you will, please take your Bible to Romans chapter 12, 12 and we'll begin reading in verse 10. Or verse number 9, actually, is where we'll begin reading. Romans chapter 12, verse number 9. I don't know if you all have noticed, but when we do this study, we basically find our launch point in Second Peter. We go somewhere else. It's very hard to preach an entire sermon on one word. And so we go somewhere on a passage that speaks about that topic. That's what we're doing tonight in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. A lot of people say you need a new Bible to understand it, but I'm just of the uh, impression that there's nothing difficult to understand that we are to abhor that which is evil and we are to cleave to that which is good. That's actually pretty simple. It's good advice too. Verse number 10 is what we'll focus on tonight. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. That's hard. It's hard to love all of our brothers and sisters the way we ought to. And there's primarily, in my estimation, three real reasons why it's so hard to love people the way that we ought to. Number one, we find in this verse that if we're to obey this commandment, it places an unbelievably high value on, the, uh, on our brothers and sisters. I mean just an unbelievably high value. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Well, if you'll notice in verse number 10, it says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Now, we probably all quoted that verse before, but maybe we didn't know what that meant. Honor here in this passage, uh, this word is translated several times in the New Testament. 35 different times it's translated honor. Eight different times it's translated as price. Another time it's translated as some, and another time it is translated as precious. It's not just in honor, meaning that you have honor, but it is actually referring to the value of what should be honored. It's a valuable, the word means value. And so it's saying that we are to be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love because of their value. And this verse places a, an unbelievably high value on your brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're not careful, we just kind of get the idea that everybody's, you know, 
equal and there nobody's really that special you know we just kind of all here we're on one big rock and we make up a little space in that rock but but the reality is the bible teaches us that we are incredibly valuable as human beings there's two reasons why we're so valuable number one because we are created in god's image don't forget that the bible says about you It does not say this about, and I've seen some of the most beautiful creatures in all of nature. It does not say this about a single creature, but it says this about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. As majestic as a lion may be, as, you know, ferocious as a bear might be, all the beauties of nature, even when God created a rainbow, it did not impress him, but yet he says about you... You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's a real distinction in Scripture between man and animals, really, because the difference is we are created in His image, animals are not. We have a mind, we have a soul, and we have a body. We have a spirit, an eternal spirit given to us by God. We are created in His image. Even in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, you see that God places an incredibly high value on men because He says... Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. That's capital punishment if you're not clear about that. But God says, this is the reason. For in the image of God made he man. You are valuable because you were made in God's image. But if you are valuable because you were made in God's image, you know what that means? By necessity, the person sitting to your right and to your left are Made in God's image. And in fact, it actually means that not the person only sitting to your right and to the left, but the person who sits on the entirely other side of the auditorium is made in God's image. And we ought to value them because they have that marking on their life. They are valuable because they're created in God's image. Number two, we're valuable because we were purchased by the blood of Jesus. When God ascribed a price tag to us, He told us exactly how much He valued us. You see, down at the garage sale, we do it about every other year to raise funds for the teenagers. And I've got to be honest, when we go through all those clothes and we have all those many items, uh, in the past, we've gotten so just tired of estimating the market value of every item. We just kind of start spitballing a little bit. After you've labeled about your 100,000th item, you just sit there... One dollar, one dollar, one dollar, two dollars, one dollar, one dollar. I mean, you're just not, you're not Googling everything to figure out how much it costs. You just, you get tired of it. But when God marked your price tag, he said, you are worth the price of his son dying on Calvary. The Bible says, for we are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and of gold, but we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. You are valuable because God views you as valuable. You are valuable because the blood of Christ was a great cost and it purchased your soul. And if Christ views you that way, you know who else he views that way? Every other person that is saved. And in fact, he views those that are unsaved with just the same amount of value because John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the saved people. For God so loved the people that come to church. What does it say? For God so loved the world. God values those that are saved and those that are unsaved. He loves both, 
equally, I believe. And the Bible says that price that he ascribed to us was the death and the blood of Jesus Christ. One reason it's difficult is because it places a remarkably high value on our brothers and sisters. One that oftentimes we're not comfortable believing that they're that valuable. Number two, it places us in an inferior position of importance. Now, this is a tough one. You see, it says in verse number 10, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor. I want you all to say the next words with me. Preferring one another. Now, that's a problem. The moment we have to put ourselves with all the pride that fills us at all points and times of the day... The moment we have to say to ourselves, our brother is more important than we are, that's a hard pill to swallow. And we are. We're filled with pride. We are so prideful. And yet, Scripture time and time again teaches us that it is a Christ-like thing to swallow your pride and esteem your brother more important than you. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38... A small passage here. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if, if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Now, in no case in those verses do we come out the winner in our, own in our own estimation. I mean, we would look at that and say, well, I lose a coat. I have to walk an extra mile. I have to get punched on the face and then just turn my cheek. That's what we would say. But Christ says it is honoring to Him when we prefer, in that passage, our enemies. <laughs> And we're not even talking about brothers and sisters in Christ here. He says our enemies in that passage. So do we value people enough to put our pride and our plans and the things that we value secondary to the needs of those around us? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 22, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And we all like ourselves a little bit, don't we? <laughs> Uh, we, we, our best friend oftentimes is the one that we see first in the mirror. And yet the Bible says, as thyself, as much as you love yourself, you ought to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why it's so hard. Because we have a hard time placing the same amount of value on people that God does. And then we have a very hard time putting ourselves in an inferior position to them. Number three, another reason why it's so hard for us to have this brotherly love that, that the Bible is commanding us to have is, number three, because it, it places upon us the responsibility to not only love, but that that love would show forth through our actions, our words, and our deeds. And I think that's why the Bible uses this, be kindly affection towards one another, brotherly kindness. You see, it's the same word, but the action does not stay in the person. If we're not careful, uh, husbands, I know I get guilty of this sometimes. I love my wife so incredibly much, but I often don't express it the way that I ought to. I will go months at a time without me really showing her how much I love her. If, 
and, and in our mind, in our perception, we kind of get the idea that love, or at least men do, I, I feel like I'm guilty of this, as long as love is in me, everybody else knows that I love. Or in this case, my wife knows that I love because love is in me. But, but the reality is, love is supposed to pour over and spill out upon those that we love. We are to not only love them, but we are to, because we love them, be kind and affectionate towards them. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to, unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. It's not enough to say that you love your brother and sister in Christ. What are you doing to show that love to someone around you? 1 John chapter 3 says again, But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It's hard to love people the way that we should because we don't often see them as valuable as God does. Oftentimes we have a hard time costing ourselves something to give someone else something. We don't like being in inferior positions of importance. And then thirdly, it's hard because love does not have to stay in the vessel. It must be poured out. It must spring forth upon those around us. And let's be honest, all of these are hard. We struggle with probably at least two of them, every one of us. I would say I'm guilty of all three. So if it's so hard, what are the reasons that we should do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, we're starting back over. This is the sermon. That was all introduction. Here's the sermon. Because we are commanded to. We're instructed to. I don't want you to think that Brother Andrew always comes with like these super deep theological points. This one's as shallow as it comes. We do it because he said to. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And notice this. And this is, what's the next word there on the screens? The commandment. The commandment. Now, we ought to take that with pretty weighty interest. The commandment. We are being commanded by God to love our brothers. This is the commandment. Have we from him that we, he who loveth God loveth his brother also. John chapter 13 again says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. It's a commandment of Christ that we would love one another. And, and, and not everybody's as lovable as Brother Andrew is, you know. Not everybody's as lovable as me, but we are commanded to love each other. Galatians put it, puts it like this in Galatians chapter 6, 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what's difficult about this verse is Galatians on several occasions speaks how we are free from the law. Uh, Galatians is a long way from Exodus. The Mosaic law came in the Old Testament, but Galatians tells us now we are under a new law, the law of Christ. It's difficult because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us 
from the curse of the law. It's difficult because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. So how does Galatians 3 says, And so fulfill ye the law of Christ. It's this. This is the law of Christ. What is the first and great commandment? Well, this is the first and great commandment, that ye love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love Him with everything that you are. And He didn't stop there. You know, they only asked Him for the most important. But He said, the most important is that you love God, but second is likened to the first, meaning that one is not less important than the other. They are both of equal esteem. You ought to love God with everything that you are. And the second is like unto the first, love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the law of Christ. And he says, upon all these, or upon these, hang all the law and the prophets. So these two commandments summarize the entire Ten Commandments and Mosaic Law. And Christ does not give us freedom. The dispensation of grace does not give us freedom from fulfilling the law. In fact, it gives us the ability to to live out the law. Here's the difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament law. Are you ready? What Moses gave only helped us know what God wanted. What Christ gave, Christ empowers us to do as well. You see, Moses couldn't change your heart to honor the law. All he could do is present you with truth, the law. But what Christ gave is he says, here's the new commandment that you love God and that you love others as yourself. You love everybody and you ought to be known of this love. The commandment is love. We are instructed to love. And Christ says this, I will help you in your endeavor to love like I should, like I love everyone. He says, if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Well, the Spirit of God begins to develop in our hearts a love for those around us. This is a beautiful life of brotherly love. Number one reason why we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ is because we are instructed to. Number two, because we are identified by it. Now, this point's not very long, but it's very plain. John chapter 13, verse 34 says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye love that you also love one another. And this, in the next verse says this, this is so important. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How are people going to know that we're a Christian? It's not going to be because we leave our house at 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. People go grocery shopping at that time. It's not because we dress different. It's not because we talk different, sing different, look different. Christ doesn't say any of those things. He says this, the reason people are going to know that you're my disciple is you're going to love everyone. And loving other, everyone doesn't make sense. Loving everyone is so counter opposite of how this world runs. And yet you will love even those who hate you. How, how are we to do that? We're going to be identified by this. If you ever go on a long road trip, you will uh, no doubt hit an interstate at some point. And most of the times we travel great lengths of distance on these interstates. And about 12 o'clock or so, if you're traveling at that time, the old belly starts to rumble a little bit, especially if you have children. They start up, man, Dad, what are we going to have to eat? 
And for some reason, I, I just think that, you know, Ronald McDonald planned his strategy of locations very well. But it almost always seems that the first place we look for is McDonald's. And nobody even likes McDonald's, but we always look for McDonald's. I don't understand. And, and here's what happens. You'll be, Brother Luke, I know he loves McDonald's. So he's like, oh, Brother Andrew, I can't go there with you, but I'm with you on this brotherly love thing. You'll be traveling down the interstate and you may not even get to the sign that shows the exits on it, right? You know, the, the restaurant on the exit, maybe it'll say Sonic and Dairy Queen and all this. You may not even get to that sign yet, but two or three miles down the road, you'll look up and elevated in the sky, you'll see what? The golden arches. And it's like the rainbow of God has set right there. And there's your pot of gold right there. A double cheeseburger meal right there. That's, that's McDonald's. And, and have you even seen the building yet? Well, absolutely not. You're too far away from it. But there, my dad will even say it like this. He'll just say, there's the golden arches. I mean, you just know that McDonald's is on its way because the sign. Jesus says that our calling card, the thing that would identify us as his disciples, as people who love him and have submitted their life to his will, the way that people would recognize that is by our love that we have for one another. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult. But we're instructed to. And this is how we are identified in Christ by the world. Number three, I told you that second point wasn't very long. Number one, because we are instructed to. Number two, because we are identified in this way. Number three, because it's how we imitate our God. We are to look like Him. I don't know if you know this. I read a book a while back by C.S. Lewis. Uh, I don't know if I should tell you what it was because I don't know how a preacher feels about it. But either way, at some point in the book, if you know anything about Christian literature, you know what I'm talking about. At some point in the book, there's a conversation between two devils, okay? And the devil says to another devil, he says, and, and Jesus, or the enemy, because it's a devil writing to another devil, he says, the enemy has gone about to... Uh, create a bunch of loathsome replicas of himself. What, what, what is it saying? It's saying that the devil hates it when we look like God. It gets under his skin that, that we might imitate in our life the, the mannerisms and the characteristics that Jesus had while he was on this earth. You see, Jesus has not left this earth. Jesus put you in his place on this earth. We're to walk the paths that he walked. We're to live the way that he lived. And so the world might see us, will be identified by that, but we are to imitate him in the way that he loved others. There's two characteristics we must mention about his love before we are gone this evening. Number one, his love is extremely diverse. Don't ever forget this. You are not a Jew. Or most of us aren't anyway. I'm not sure everybody's uh, heritage this evening, but I know I'm not a Jew. And I'm very thankful that Christ's love was diverse. Because if he had not died for the Gentile, we wouldn't be here this evening. The Bible says, For there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. 
For the same God is rich unto all who call upon His name. Are you thankful that just because you're a a, a Gentile, God still loved you? Well, if that's the case, and we are to imitate Him and replicate what He does, how He feels, and His love for others, I will say this statement as boldly as I can. Racism, bigotry, and prejudices are of the devil. And I understand we live in Texas, and I understand that our history has not always been that great, but I'm telling you right now, we are not Jewish. And for the most of us, we are white, and and we ought to be careful the way that we treat others because we are to imitate the, the, the love of God in our lives and to spread that abroad on others and to put anybody down or question them or chastise them based upon their color skin or their background, something, by the way, that they had no control over. They didn't get to select it just like you didn't get to select it. To judge them based upon their preju- uh, based upon uh, uh, things that they had no control over is utter foolishness and it is straight from hell. I am so thankful that God's love was all-encompassing. I'm so thankful that when Jesus was on the cross, He looked at everyone at the foot of the cross. He looked at the Jew. He looked at the Gentile. He looked at the Roman centurions that were uh, uh, hanging in there on that cross. He looked at the, the Pharisees that put Him on the cross. And He said, Father, forgive them. Not just the Jew but He forgave the Gentile. He forgave those centurions. He forgave even the Pharisees that put Him on that cross. Christ's love is so diverse. And secondly, Christ's love is so enduring. Everybody's not easy to love, but we ought to love everyone. But here comes the question, how long should we love them? I think Peter asked something very similar to that, didn't he? How many times should I forgive my brother? Well, Jesus' answer was, we can't, we can't keep tally of that and be like, oh, now it's 7 times 77. I mean, we're to the point where I, I'm, I can't forgive him anymore. No, no, no. Jesus' answer was this. You just keep forgiving because I keep forgiving. There is no sin that Christ cannot forgive. There is no amount of sins that Christ cannot forgive. There is nothing so dark, so dirty, or so uh, destitute that Christ cannot forgive. So let me ask you, where do you draw your line? Christ's love is long-suffering. It goes the extra mile and forgives the sins that are difficult to forgive. We ought to as well. The Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You want to know how long his love endured? It endured all the way to the cross. That's how long his love endured. He loved us that much. 1 John chapter 2 says this, He that loveth his brother abideth in light. This is how we are identified with him. This is how we begin to act like him and look like him. We abide in light when we love our brother. There is none occasion of stumbling in him, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. 
Now, I'm actually done. You say, Brother Andrew, I can't believe you preached a 20-minute sermon. Well, that's because I had to preach this morning, and I pretty much said everything in that one that I know, so I was kind of running out of stuff to say tonight. But, but love in our language is very, it's very misused. Certainly, I think we could all agree to that. Uh, one person's definition of love is not the same as another person's definition of love. I told myself when I was a young man that the only people that I would tell that I loved them was someone they, somebody I would be willing to die for. If, 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 if I tell you I love you, it's because I'd die for you. And that's my definition of love. That's what Christ did for me and Christ loved me. That's what I've come to the conclusion of. But you see, we say love flippantly sometimes. And it's not wrong necessarily. Our, our country kind of has, uh, our language has kind of changed the usage of the word. But when we say something like, you know, we'll be talking about a good restaurant or something. We'll say, man, Whataburger has this new burger. Well, I'm kind of in Whataburger withdrawals right now. What in the world? I feel like the walls of Jericho came. I feel like Nehemiah. Actually... How is the water burger? Oh, the walls are broken down. Let's build the walls. <laughs> but you know, we may, we may be talking about a great uh, hamburger and we say, I love that hamburger. You know, you've said it. You've said something like, I love their chips and queso. Chili's, right? I love their chips and queso. Well, do we really mean that we love it? Really, probably what we're saying is, I like it a lot, right? Because when I say, I love steak, it kind of degrades the value when I tell my wife, I love you. (laughs) Which I do love steak. (laughs) But in comparison, I love my wife exponentially more. I mean, it's like an eight and a ten. You see... You get what I'm saying, though, right? And, and I want to teach this to you tonight before we go. We won't be much longer. That's the reason that there were different words in the Greek language. Well, I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to teach a lesson on the three different usages of the word love in Scripture. You can do that study on your own. I'm sure all of you could probably teach it. But agape is a very godlike love. It is sacrificial, it's benevolent, it's giving, but not based upon someone's merit. It's giving because the love is just that great. I'm so thankful that God loved me that way. But Philadelphia or phileo love, if if we had an equivalent in our language, it would be this, like. And I don't want to degrade the meaning of it because it is love. But it is kindly affectionate towards one another. Here's what I'm saying before we close tonight. What we do, we are so good at this. Man, so I, I, it must be frustrating to God when we say stuff like this. I'll love them, but I ain't going to like them. <laughs> and we, that's how we handle this. We come to scriptures like these and we dismiss our responsibility and our accountability to God by we say, oh, I love them. I just don't like them. I want you to know this. When the Bible says phileo or Philadelphia, it, is, it actually means for us that we ought to like them too. We ought to like our brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, if we can't get along with one another, the world outside is not on our side. 
Your biggest cheerleaders are sitting in this room with you. The ones that will help you bear your burdens in the tough times and actually give you good advice instead of advice that who knows came from who, where. The people that are sitting in this room are those people. And so we ought to love one another, absolutely, but we ought to like each other too. And if and I didn't I feel led to go here. If there's something in your life between you and another Christian that has derailed you spiritually, you gotta take care of it. It is not honoring to God to have disputings and divisions among brethren. It's just not honoring to God. There ought not be a moment in time where you avoid somebody at church. We ought to love one another. We ought to like one another as well. Brethren, be kindly affectionate one to another. How are we doing in this? I mean, we're to add to our faith virtue, to our virtue knowledge, to our knowledge temperance, to our temperance patience, to our patience godliness, but never forget it is always godly to show love to your brother. 